You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. Today, we are discussing Jungle Fever. This came out in 1991, and it was directed by Spike Lee. It stars Wesley Snipes, Annabella Sciorra, Samuel L. Jackson, Spike Lee himself, John Turturro, Lynette McKee, Halle Berry, Ruby Dee, Ossie Davis, Anthony Quinn, and Frank Vincent, and several other actors as well. This movie had a stacked cast. Now, if I had to pick the genre, Spike Lee's films are always difficult to categorize, so I'll, let's just say it's drama. With a lot of comedic elements, but it's a drama. It's Jungle Fever. Now, this film just turned 30, and it was considered a very provocative film upon release when it came out in the summer of 1991. And it's no less provocative today. I loved this movie when it first came out, even though my dorky 16-year-old self didn't even pretend to fully understand it. Spike is painting with some very broad strokes here, and the whole thing really comes off more as an amorphous stage play filled with a lot of provocative themes, several of which are not given much resolution. It all really just feels like a series of big scenes with politically charged monologues and arguments, and at least two scenes of characters actually shouting out second-story windows. Dude, I don't want dude, in my house! Why are you throwing my paper out the window? What? Shit, what did I do? Just tell me what I did. You're a liar and a bastard! It doesn't always blend together into a cohesive narrative, but it's all very compelling to watch regardless. Now, just if I'm being honest about the film, I always wanted more from the subplot involving a budding romance, I think it's a budding romance, between John Turturro's Polly and Tyra Farrell's Oren, but it feels like that story's just beginning by the time the movie's almost over. Despite the hook of the title and the catchy title song by Stevie Wonder, this film really isn't about romance or forbidden love, or even lust for that matter. Snipes and Shiora are technically the main stars, with their affair being the central driver of the plot. And they're both fantastic in this, and they have very tricky roles. But their relationship doesn't really seem to be Spike's main focus here. What ends up really dominating this movie is the supposed, quote, B-plot, quote, involving Samuel L. Jackson's Gator. He is Snipes' crackhead brother, and along for the ride is an almost unrecognizable Halle Berry, who's also playing it fierce as his crack-addicted girlfriend. Samuel L. Jackson pretty much steals this movie in his scenes with Barry, with Snipes, and Ruby D as his overwhelmed mother. You just cannot take your eyes off him. And yes, he's loud and profane, as we all know Samuel L. Jackson to be. It's almost a given now. But this isn't just run-of-the-mill, snakes-on-a-plane Samuel L. Jackson here. Every once in a while, his character just has a quiet moment, where he looks more like a wounded little boy who is beyond ashamed of himself. It's not only a standout depiction of drug addiction— But there's enough there under the surface to show how after so many years just being on autopilot, playing the part of the crazy crackhead seeking a new fix, that he's just finding this increasingly exhausting. It now pains this character, it now pains Gator, to know that he's going to have to keep turning up the bullshit yet again and again. 
Besides Pulp Fiction, I don't think Jackson has ever given a better performance. I'm a little light right now. Could you, like, let me hold some change? No. No, Gator, no, 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 no. The dancing shit ain't gonna work. I ain't giving you a red cent. What? Come on, you could do me this one solid. What? Would you rather I go out and rob some elderly person? Steal? Either way, I'm gonna get high. So many memorable scenes fill this movie, including an apparently fully improvised discussion among Lynette McKee, who plays Snipes' wife, and her girlfriends about various hot-button topics, including race and gender. Do any of you know what it is like not being thought of as attractive? I can't believe you ever believed that. Drew, it's the kind of shit you buy into, okay? I was always the darkest one in my class, and I know you know what I'm talking about. All the guys ran after the light-skinned girls with long, straight hair, and that left me out. And it's that same kind of thinking that leaves us out when it comes to white women. Mm-hmm. Now, back in the day, brothers would get sisters that look like you, Drew, and you, Vera, you know? But now, light skin ain't even good enough. Spike is pretty much just letting his characters just talk for most of this film's runtime. And it just always feels so engaging, regardless of whether you know where it's going. And in the end, does it matter where it's going? Not really, because the main purpose of the film seems to be almost voyeuristic. We're just following these characters along with the choices they're making, and most importantly, the consequences of those choices. And that brings us to the categories, or the awards, if you will. And that first award would be Best Needle Drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is very essential to film. And for this particular film, for this particular category, this is one of my personal favorite needle drops ever. In fact, this needle drop is so memorable that it's partially the inspiration for the name of this podcast. Amidst a soundtrack that's filled with several memorable songs from Stevie Wonder, because he actually performed a lot of original songs for the soundtrack of this movie, including the title track. This is my personal favorite choice. This would be one of his 70s classics, and it plays over a standout scene. The song is Living for the City. Get it? Living for the city, living for the cinema. Isn't that clever? This song is originally from his 1973 album, Inner Visions, which is a great album, by the way. And it plays over a sequence when Snipes' character, and just to let you know, Snipes' character in this movie, his name is Flipper Purify. That's his name. And hey, if anybody's going to pull off a guy named Flipper Purify, it's Wesley Snipes. So this scene takes place. He's looking for his brother, Gator, after he just found out that Gator stole his parents' TV. Flipper is venturing into very dark territory here as he is directed to go to the, quote, Taj Mahal, that's what it's called, a nearby crack den, which seems to have taken over an entire abandoned apartment building nearby in Harlem. And as he ventures deeper into this hell on earth, the song just builds and builds and builds. It's one of Stevie Wonder's most angrier songs. It really starts to sound less like a Stevie Wonder song as it progresses, and it just nails the tone of this scene perfectly. This is a genuinely disturbing sequence. But it's balls-out filmmaking on Spike's part. And this song just drives the sequence forward. And ever since hearing the song in this movie, despite this context, I just love this song. A boy's born in Hardtown, Mississippi Surrounded by four that ain't so pretty His parents give him love and affection to keep him strong, moving in the right direction, living just enough, just enough for the city. 
And that brings us to the next award, and that would be the award for Wasted Talent. The Wasted Talent Award is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Someone who might be even really good at what they do, but they're just not used properly in the context of this movie. And this award also relates to music. This relates to the composer for the movie, Terrence Blanchard. He's a great composer. He did the score for this, and he's done a lot of scores. He's a longtime collaborator of Spike Lee's. He's done some very memorable scores for him for movies including Inside Man, 25th Hour, and Clockers. But unfortunately, that didn't happen this time. The score that Blanchard did for Jungle Fever just does not blend in well with the Stevie Wonder songs, and it just distracts at times. There are some moments when he's clearly going for something in particular. The score even starts to take on the sound of kind of a horror score, with violins crescendoing, all in the lead-up to the first sex scene between Snipes and Shiora. Get it? How it's a horror scene? It's just kind of clunky, and it just doesn't really work for the movie. This next award is Trailer Moment. This is the scene or the moment that best describes this movie. Whether you love the film or whether you hate the film, this is what you would show somebody to demonstrate that. And Jungle Fever is just such a unique film. It's kind of hard to distill the film into the length of a trailer. But if I had to pick one standout scene, it would have to be actually kind of a funny scene later in the film. And this is when Gator, played by Samuel L. Jackson, goes to visit his brother, Flipper, who's played by Wesley Snipes. Since having their affair, Flipper and Angela, who's played by Annabelle Sciorra, they've both been kicked out of their families in pretty dramatic fashion. So now they have their own apartment. So who comes calling but Gator? And Gator is clearly coming for just one reason to ask Flipper for money to buy more crack. So what results is actually a very awkward exchange among these all three characters, but it ends up being pretty funny. Basically, for a few minutes, this film kind of turns into Spike Lee's 90s version of The Office. It's all awkward humor and awkward silence. Snipes is basically playing his embarrassment to nice comic effect, and Jackson is ribbing him, asking him how he ended up sharing space with this woman who's clearly not his wife. And Jackson pretty much caps the scene laughing with a very memorable line after his brother has just explained to him what Angela's full background is. You sure she ain't got no money? She could be fronting, you know what I'm saying? Perpetrating on the green. She's Jewish, right? No, she's Italian. Oh, shit! (laughs) You always had to do things the hard way. This whole scene just nails the tragic comic tone that Spike is clearly going for. And that brings us to the final award, and that award would be the MVP. The MVP is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of the film. Now, this is a Spike Lee joint through and through. This is his movie. And I would even say it's one of his best movies. But sorry, Spike Lee is not the MVP here. The MVP has to be Samuel L. Jackson, because he pretty much takes over the film for more than half of its runtime. His gator is the most interesting character on screen, and we just can't take our eyes off him. His story dominates the film, even to the point where the main storyline between Snipes and Shiora's characters, it's not even fully resolved. But we actually don't care because Gator's story, Samuel L. Jackson's character, his story is fully resolved, and it's resolved in pretty dramatic fashion. And even though he wasn't, unfortunately, nominated for an Oscar for this performance, which he really did deserve, Jackson did win Best Supporting Actor for this performance at the Cannes Film Festival that very year. And my rating for this film would be four and a half out of five stars. Now, just one thing about where you can find this film. Right now, Jungle Fever is not streaming anywhere. (laughs) That's right. It's not streaming anywhere. I know how antiquated. So let's take this even more antiquated. If you want to watch this film, you might actually have to buy it in physical form. (gasps) I know. I know. Crazy. 
DVDs, Blu-rays. You could still buy them. You could still rent them. I would suggest you do that. If you're a Spike Lee fan, and if you want to sample the film a little bit first before buying it or renting it, there are a lot of clips of it on YouTube. So you could check it out and see if it's something you really want to watch. But if you do, I think you'll really enjoy it. This is one of his best films, and 30 years later, it still holds up. So in my opinion, it's worth buying on physical media. Check out Jungle Fever. And that ends this episode of Living for the Cinema. To listen to other episodes, check us out and subscribe to Living for the Cinema on all platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Google, and anywhere else where podcasts are available. Stay tuned and join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.